0: grab a Bible or turn one on, you can grab your phone. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And let me share with you where we're going to be today. What we've been doing at Bergen Park is we've been walking through this, this series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. See, the gospel of John, it's anchored, it's centered. It flows through these seven statements of who Jesus is, each statement that is connected to a miracle, a sign that identifies who Jesus is and his humanity and his deity and who he is as the Messiah that's come for us. And today as we go into John 11, it's on page 897, if you're looking at in that Bible in front of you, 897, we're looking at this idea that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That he is the resurrection of life. And here's what I want to do. And we're not going to be too long today. It's not going to take you into your, you know, your celebrations that are coming up. I know we got a lot of things going on. But here's where God's going to take us. I believe through this passage what God wants to do is to invade our present reality by untangling the pain of our past and bringing the hope of the future into the present. That what God wants to do, what he wants to do for us The idea of life is that he wants to invade our present reality, our present celebration. Whatever we're going to do today, he wants to be a part of that, the center of that by untangling our past and allowing the future hope, the hope of who he is to truly dwell with us and be in us. Now, as we jump into John chapter 11, let me just set this up just quickly. It's a story about a family and a family. In this family, there's two sisters, there's Martha and there's Mary and there's this brother Lazarus. And in this story, Lazarus becomes sick early in John chapter 11, really sick. He goes downhill quickly, and his sisters are caring for him. And so they say, hey, let's go get Jesus. Jesus may have a solution to this. So they send word. They send a runner to Jesus. They go to Jesus, and they tell him, hey, the one you love, Lazarus, your brother, he is dying. And he says to that person, this is not a sickness that leads unto death. And he sends him off. The runner goes back to Martha and Mary, tells them the news, and then Jesus waits two more days until news comes that Lazarus has actually died. After Lazarus has died, then Jesus engages, and he goes to Bethany, and he speaks to Martha, he speaks to Mary, and we see this amazing statement that comes out where Jesus says that he is the resurrection and he is the life. So let's pick it up in John chapter 11, we're going to start off in verse 17. And so here's the story, John eleven seventeen. 17. And now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained in the house. Verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ. You're the Son of God who has come into the world. So Jesus approaches. The first thing that Martha brings him is the pain of her past. She brings the words that maybe you're bringing today, if only. God, if only you were here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In those words, if only, there is doubt, there's pain. It's real honest suffering coming into the presence of God and saying, God, you didn't fix this. You didn't address this. You allowed it to happen. And because you've allowed this to happen, my doubts are stirring. My suffering is greater than your salvation. My pain is higher than your goodness. And I can't trust you. See, when Jesus shows up, what she approaches with, what she brings to him is the pain of the past that she is wrestling with. And what Jesus wants to do in that pain is to bring his present reality, his hope, to untangle the pain of her past and to allow the future hope which God has given us to invade her present and give her life. But I'll tell you, in pain, that's hard to see. And maybe that's where you are here today. You come and yet you have doubts. Doubts that God could possibly be good. Based on what you've experienced, what you've been through, what you've seen, what you've done, or maybe even what others have done to you, there is this deep setting doubt that God cannot be who he says he is because of the pain and the tangled mess of my past. And you may say with Mary and Martha, Hey God, listen, I'd believe in you if only. And so what does Jesus say? How does he respond to her? He tells her in verse 23, Your brother's going to rise again. Now, I'll tell you, to Mary, that is cold, that is cold comfort. Because, see, her hope is not a present hope. Often in religion, our hope, many people will think, is a future hope. Christianity doesn't have much to say to me today. It's all about the future and what will come. See, that's where Martha is in her hope, in her salvation, in her suffering. She's focused on the fact that, hey, maybe in the future something good would happen. And so Martha responds in verse 24 and listen to the words that she says. And she said to him, I know, I know, I know Jesus. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now what she's responding to Jesus with is what she thinks Jesus wants to hear. She's giving him back spiritual platitudes, empty words, cold comfort. Because when you're walking through suffering, the idea of a future resurrection doesn't really help right now. That's not where I am. That's not where my pain is. It's not what I'm dealing with. Jesus, bring me something that's going to address what's going on right now. See, what she responds to Jesus with is just a simple spiritual platitude. And maybe, again, you're here today, and it's not just the pain of the past. It's the pain of the church. It's the pain of the church that keeps you from seeing the real Jesus. It's the ugliness of the church, the brokenness of the church, the false view of the church that keeps you from seeing the true Jesus, the platitudes of the church. Maybe at a funeral, maybe in a hard time, someone said, hey, listen, God just loved your mother more than you did. Really? Or maybe in the hardship of a difficulty, someone said a very true idea, but it didn't minister hope. Hey, God's working it for good. It's not the good that I need, it's the presence of God I need right now. And the church didn't incarnate Christ's love. They rather poured over your pain, just simple spiritual platitudes. Hey, that's where Martha is. She's looking at this pain and saying, Jesus, I need something more than that. I need something that's going to meet the pain of my past and bring the future hope into the present. Martha's wrestling, she's hurting. And so Jesus responds and he said to her, here are these words that that stand out on the pages of Scripture, really stand out on the pages of time and breathe truth. In verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And here's the good news. Everyone who lives and believes in me today shall never die. But do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come, into, who's come into the world. You know, with this statement, I am the resurrection and the life, one of the things that Jesus takes off our table is that he is a good teacher. No good teacher would look into the pain of a woman and say, I am the resurrection and the life, unless he is the resurrection and the life. See, to be a good teacher, you have to teach Jesus is not teaching. He's not providing a solution saying, hey, look, God will provide a solution one day, someday in the future. No, Jesus is looking into the eyes of this woman who is deep in grief and pain, and she's saying, he's saying to her, woman, I'm your solution. In me, in my life, in a relationship with me, in knowing me and experiencing me, in me invading your present pain and your past reality, I am the life and the hope That you're looking for see jesus takes off the table this idea that he could possibly be just simply a good teacher because in this statement he is claiming to be life hope salvation itself now what does that mean to us if we jump down in verse 38 we see how this story plays out in verse 38 jesus is going to the tomb and there's many people who are grieving who are who are broken because of what has happened. And then in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. Meaning, what are you doing? It's been four days. Now, in Jewish thought, there's many... Superstitions in Judaism, one of the Jewish ideas and superstitions was that the spirit laid with the body for three days. So on the fourth day, you're not mostly dead, if you get my reference. (laughs) You are dead, dead. Jesus is removing all superstitions, all realities of false hopes of life, and saying, This one, there is no hope. This one is gone. And then verse 40, we see these beautiful words as Martha is questioning Jesus. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't push her away. He doesn't speak into her doubt and say, stop doubting, start trusting. Instead, in this calm compassion, he says to her, did I not tell you that if you would believe, which means just simply to trust, you would see the glory of God, the glory of God in the midst of her suffering? That seems remarkable it seems almost hard to believe how can i see god's glory in the midst of my pain you now paul in his words said in 2 corinthians that we have these light and momentary troubles that are returning for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all that in the face of God and knowing God, all the suffering we walk through, all the difficulties we go through, it's going to be worth it in the end because when we see the face of God and we come into his presence, and even in the present reality of that, of God dwelling with us, there is a joy and an eternal weight of glory we haven't even begun to open our heart to. Now, if that doesn't hit you, maybe Samwise Gamgee will, where he says to Gandalf, are all things sad? Sad? Becoming untrue. See, in Jesus, in the statement, I am the resurrection and the life, the life that we hope for, the life that we want, Jesus is saying, those things are becoming untrue in me. But here's the question. Do you believe? And not in spiritual platitudes, not in empty truth, but rather, do you believe? Are you willing to allow Jesus to invade your present reality to untie and to unwrite the pain of the past and allow the future hope to speak into the present. Will you will you believe? Will you trust him? Jesus says, if you believe, you will see my glory. You know, one of the verses we skipped over is in verse 35 that just says that Jesus wept. And if I could be honest with you, I don't get that verse. Because if I was Jesus walking to the tomb of a dead man knowing he's about to rise, I'd be saying, this is going to be awesome. Guys, listen, I know you're crying right now, but get ready for the biggest celebration of your life. I know he stinketh. That's what the KJV says. I know he's been in the grave for four days, but he is about to rise up. The tomb is going to open. We are going to have the biggest. Why is Jesus, who knows what's going to happen, why is he weeping and suffering? It's a vision of God. It's a picture of God and how he responds in our pain. Now, Christianity above any other religion in the world suggests dares to cause us to believe that God would understand and enter into our suffering. No other religion suggests that the eternal, that God himself would come down and actually enter into the pain of our, our sufferings to the point that he would weep, not just simply for what's gone wrong, but at the very presence of death and pain in life. Because Jesus was the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He himself offered himself to be crushed for our iniquities so that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed. Jesus enters into our suffering. And then notice how the story ends in verse 41. And so they took away the stone and lifted up his eyes. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and, and I knew you would always hear me but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out in his hands and feet, bound with linens and strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let, and let him go. Now, what does this story have to do with us? Come on, pastor, that's what you're bringing on Easter? You really believe that a dead man can rise? You really believe that Jesus, four days after, in a tomb, in a grave, that Lazarus came to... What does this have to do with us? See, I think in this story, there's a bigger reality. Jesus is not just telling a story that's nice, that has principles and ideas. He's showing us who he is, and he's inviting us to allow his presence to come into our present reality. But some of us have doubts, and we all walk in doubts. There's no one in this room that doesn't have doubts. I want you to understand. Because when Jesus rose in Matthew 28, you know what happened? Some worshiped. You know what the rest of them were doing? They're all doubting. Absolutely. When you see something unusual, when you see something new and your reality and God's reality do not meet, you have to choose, will I fall in worship or will I stand in doubt? And so all of us come with doubts. And some of us, as we've said, come with the pain of our past doubts. Maybe it's not the pain of the past and what others have done to you. Maybe it's what you have done. And you stand here, sit here, whatever today, and you say, you know, there's no way that God could love me. It's not possible. I didn't grow up with Ned Flanders as my father. The story of the Christian life and the people that are sitting around me, that's not my story. That's not my narrative. That's not where I walk. I've walked in darkness. I've walked in hurt. I have hurt others. And there's no possible way that God could actually love me. And I want to tell you. Our God in the story of the Bible is one who goes to the darkest places, the darkest regions of life to pull out people who are shining lights for his glory. Because, see, it's not about us. Christianity is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you and what he wants to do through you. It's not about picking up the laws and doing the right things and being a good person and being a good citizen so that God maybe will welcome me when I get to heaven. That's a false view of the gospel. The gospel is this is what Jesus has done for you. And we are all at the same starting point. That we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We need not a good teacher, we need a Savior. And so maybe it's the pain of the past, and you do not think that God would love you, or the realities we talked about. That the idea of God that we're talking about today just conflicts too much with your past and with what you've experienced. Well, in that, Jesus wants to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to enter into your present. I want to untangle the pain of your past, and I want the future reality of life to come in and dwell with you today. That's true. Amen. She's all right. Or maybe it's not the pain of the past. It's the the doubts of the present. Maybe, like Martha, you have walked in the inch-deep, mile-wide Christianity. Spiritual platitudes without commitment. No desire to sacrifice, no desire to serve, just this empty ticket to heaven that someday, one day, I'll be with God, but right now it really doesn't matter. And the reason you're here today is because your crazy relatives invited you or maybe that coworker who constantly reads their Bible brought you in here today and you're just here. And some of us have these empty platitudes, these spiritual ideas that we believe in the ideas but we don't follow We don't follow Jesus. We don't want to serve or sacrifice. And in that, Jesus wants to be and to manifest his present reality that Christianity is not just an idea we believe. It's a person that has invited himself and wants us to be in relationship with him. Or maybe it's not just the pain of the past, the present. Rather, it's the doubts of the future. And here's how I think in Evergreen how we kind of play out the doubts of the future. Hey, listen, pastor, this is great, good service, all that. I just don't need it. Hey, I maybe needed some teaching, maybe a little bit of extra information for my family, maybe some good guidelines of how-to would today would be really helpful on how to raise kids. Maybe I need a little information. I don't believe I need a Savior because, see, I really believe, honestly, I've got it together. My wealth tells me I've got it together. My house got it together. My titles got it together. My friends, I've got it together. I, I need a little help, but I don't need a Savior. I'm not dead. And so we're so confident in ourselves that we say to the God of the universe, hey, thank you, but no thank you. I don't need that kind of help. And there are doubts in our present reality that we don't see ourselves wisely. We don't see ourselves according to truth. We see ourselves much stronger, much more capable than we are. And into those realities, those doubts, he wants his life and presence to invade. Because, see, what we're talking about today is not about Lazarus. This is not about something that happened a long time ago, a story that's hard to believe. It's not about the resurrection of Lazarus. What we're talking about today is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the statement and the belief that in his life, there is life over the brokenness of life and he has defeated sin and he has defeated the grave. And eternal life is not life someday, one day, hopefully. It's life today, life with God, life in our pain, life from our past into our present that is guiding us into the future. That is the life that God wants for us. You know, and that's where Christianity is anchored. Christianity is not anchored in just a subjective experience. I once was blind, but now I see. It's it's anchored in an objective reality that even the disciples, ready for this? They didn't believe Jesus was going to rise. They didn't believe it. If you're going to make up a religion, wouldn't you make up that your early followers were confident? (laughs) That they were at the tomb. Ready, guys? You ready, Peter? Paul? Everyone? Ready? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Okay, here it comes. Five, four, three, two, one. Woo-hoo. Resurrection day. Beginning of a new religion. We're going to be the leaders. We're going to be awesome. What happened that day? They're afraid. Except for, man, the women showed up. All right. There you go. Don't ever say that Christianity pushed the woman down. She was right there. She trusted. No, it wasn't based on this subjective idea that we have it together. It's based, as Paul says, if Christ wasn't raised... Then we should go home, and our faith is futile because we're still in our sins. You know, that truth anchors my hope. As a pastor, I've walked through a lot of challenges, and not in blind faith, but in honest, struggling, suffering faith, and seeing that God is worth it. That in moments of doubt, I've got to turn back and say, What am I anchoring myself in? I'm not anchoring myself in my abilities or my ability to speak or to convince anyone. I'm anchoring myself in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, God, hey, I doubt some things that you've done. I've doubt some things you say. I'm struggling with some of those commands, but I'm going to submit to you because I'm going to submit to the one who rose again. God, would you make me teachable, and would you help me to see you? You know, in the resurrection of Jesus, there's life. There's life, but we have to be willing to see it. We have to be willing to say, as Jesus asks us the question, do you believe? To say simply, God, I want to, but help my unbelief. You know, as Isaiah said, See, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. For just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his soul marred beyond human likeness, so shall he sprinkle many nations and kings. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah says, who has believed our message? To whom has the strength, the armor of the Lord been revealed? For Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet, surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment should have fallen on us, but the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. For we, we all like sheep. We have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and yet God, the Lord, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, he was oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was a sign, a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And after the suffering of his days, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. For by his righteousness, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify, which means to make right many. You know when that was spoken? Thousands of years before the coming of Jesus. Predicting and telling us that the one who can give us life wants to invade our present reality. Not to be a spiritual platitude, not to be some crocheted statement on our walls, on our doors. No, he wants to rewrite his love upon our heart. That he was in very nature God, was of nothing of sin, made himself sin for us so that we might be covered with his righteousness so that in our worst days, we might rest in the love of God. In the story of Christ, we've got a story of redemption a story of redemption that outshines all stories. The question today is, is it, is it your story? Or is the pain of the past just too great? The doubt of his love too overwhelming? Hey, I'm okay, I just don't need that. Hey, I'm not here to convince you. I'm here just simply to say, I once was blind, but now I see. I've doubted. I've walked through those moments of hardship and suffering. And what I say to you is he is the resurrection and the life. In the midst of the darkness, he brings light. In the midst of hopelessness, he brings hope. And in each day of life, he awakens us to a reality that is so much greater than anything I could gain for myself. He is life itself. I hope you'll invite him in. Hey, let me pray for us.